0: So since the dawn of humanity, the topic of wealth and money um, have been debated, and it was no different in the time when Jesus walked the earth, and he certainly did not shy away um, from this topic. And no doubt you've all heard the famous words, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." And that statement was actually made in the context of a fascinating yet confronting dialogue between Jesus and who Channel Ten would probably call Israel's most eligible bachelor. I'm serious. This man was young, well dressed, extremely rich, but most importantly, a good guy. Well, at least he thought so. Um, and when it says he was a ruler. It's likely that that was a reference to a ruler of the synagogue, so it's religious too. And so, single ladies, do you ask for? Really? And just as Jesus is leaving town one day, this eligible bachelor comes running up in his fine robes, immaculately dressed, and kneels down before Jesus in the dirt on the side of the road, end to town, with a burning question on his heart. And that's where we begin our reading today. Those who are following along, um, we're reading from Mark chapter 10, verse 17. But so as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Shall not give false testimony, shall not, she shall not defraud on your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, like, he said. Good. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He ran away sad because he had great wealth. with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Friends, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life but many who are first will be last, and the last first. (coughs) So, to, to chase Jesus down and ask this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We can fairly comfortably conclude that this rich, religious, moral young man for all his wealth, had some internal wrestling going on. There was something that he wasn't completely satisfied of, something he was, there was something empty. And so he's come with his question, what what can I do to get to heaven? What's it going to cost me? Can Can I afford the price? Is there some religious ritual that I need to go through or some obligation I need to fulfill or some form I need to fill out? Um, whatever it is, Jesus, tell me. And Jesus, with his pure, divine eyes, sees straight through this man's heart. And the dialogue that follows is about challenging this man's preconceptions and his assumptions to reveal what's really going on in his heart. And I think you know we should we should take note of this because when we do discuss the matters, matters of faith um, with people who don't yet know Jesus. We should really be attuned and listen to to their questions. What are they wrestling with? Because that will give us some insight into what's actually blinding them or blocking them from God. And interestingly, the very first thing Jesus does is address the good teacher. Why why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why did he say that? If If we know Jesus and we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Why are you saying that? Well, I think Jesus is not denying his own goodness, nor is he denying that he's God. He's prompting this man to question his own assumption of goodness, and prompting him to recognise who he's speaking to. The man, what this man wants to know is what he can do to get into heaven. So Jesus answers it straight. Oh. You want to know what you can do. You need to be perfect. You need to keep the commandments. And so he recites a few, but not all of them, just a few. And it's, it's, such, a, it's such a brilliant um, example of cross-examination, like the way he said <laughs> I would love to say Jesus Christ. Um, he's <laughs> so great. he set him up perfectly and he just walked straight into it <laughs> um, but this young and this, so this young man's response is like extraordinary oh all, all these I got kept since, since my youth you know, and when I, I read that I thought this guy's either like really courageous or really naive but, but yeah it says Jesus loved him I, I didn't get it but when I looked into it, I realised that the rabbis the Jewish rabbis did actually hold their they held that you could, you could, the law could be kept in its entirety until Jesus came along and sort of blew that whole notion apart. From the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, when he said that, you know, you shall not be out of it, you know, when you hate your brother, the are basically committed. But it's all rooted in sin. So, so Jesus is sort of challenging his whole notion of, law, well, yeah, I don't accept the law. And When you think about this man's uh, sort of ideals of of his own goodness and that importance on on himself, it's probably not that far removed from from today. You could probably ask the average person on the street, how how do I get to heaven? And they probably come up with a similar thing. You go to heaven if you do good, you go to hell if you do bad things but only not really bad things. Um, But eternal life is like a reward, you know, what you do on earth. And I think now we're seeing more than ever this, um, this emphasis on people wanting to be seen to be doing the good. And, you know, this is, this is known as vanity philanthropy, that's not so important. Um, society, you know, even in society, like people are now sort of refusing to work for, you know, the big tech companies unless they believe that what they're that company is doing is actually for a good purpose. And, um, but underlying all this, it's almost like society is, is sort of without realizing it's almost like they're creating some sort of salvation by works and missing the source of all goodness. But I think, um yeah, sorry, and, and, and just pointing from that, I think that like Richard Muller, most people are striving hard to be good, but living under this massive question mark of where's this So as we see in this encounter, Jesus wants to bring this man to the end of himself. He wants him to see that he could never attain the perfection required to enter heaven on his own merits. That was broken back in the Garden of Eden, and so he says, "You lack one thing." And that word "lack" is the same word that Paul uses in when he's speaking to the Romans um, when he writes through of says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm kind of making this up. Just for purposes, but you can imagine the conversation went something like this. Okay, so you've kept all the commandments. Did you? Okay, let's see. So you remember the first one? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, yeah, great. Okay, so so just go sell what you have and give it to the poor. Oh, no. Don't go there too fast. no, no, no. no. Well, why, why not? Is money your God? Um, okay, yeah, I guess maybe. Oh, hang on, what about the 10th commandment? Do you not cover? It? Do you possess your possessions or are your possessions possessing you? Just give it all to the poor, come and trust me and I'll provide for you. No, no you can't ask me to do that. No. no. So then we see that you know, he, he didn't actually keep the commandments as well as he thought he did. His wealth was his God, and he was clinging on tight to it. He actually says that in one of the other Gospels, of so version of the same story. He wasn't trusting in the God of heaven. He was trusting in his net worth. And he can't give that up. So he walks away and fix that. And you can sort of imagine like what's going on in his mind as he's staring at Jesus, who doesn't have a possession to his name, Not a place to lay his head at night. Nothing to, you know, attract us to him compared to the eligible person. And you know, he says, You want me to you want me to walk away from everything that I am and everything that I have to follow some guy in Sanders who's got a few wise things to say? Like you kidding me? And don't we kind of feel for him? Like do we kind of feel like oh sure he might have needed to be taken down a people too, but has Jesus been, like, a bit harsh, like a bit unfair? I mean, where does that leave me?
1: So am I not allowed to own
0: my own home and have some sort of material comfort or should I be homeless like Jesus? But Jesus, full of wisdom and truth, turns to his disciples and says how hard it is for a man, a rich man, to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the ivy than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus often made radical statements to demonstrate a point, and this is one of those moments. It's supposed to rock our thinking and sort of jolt us. He wasn't, he wasn't about sort of making little polite suggestions that we could ignore, no. He wanted to confront us, shatter thinking. And he does this so well because a camel in Palestine, at the time, that was the biggest animal around, they didn't have elephants. So he's trying to think of like the, the best extreme he can and it gets pretty good visual. And just as I was pondering this very first, I walked into the room, where my kids were watching Madagascar 3 and there's this part where the big um, beefy tiger has to like jump through this tiny ring of fire like this big and I'm watching it going, and I can him, and he does it. And I said to my kids, "Oh my goodness, why did he do that? How did he do that? That was impossible. Why did he do that?" And I thought, "Oh wow, maybe this is some moment where, like, I'm going to get some inspiration for my sermon." And Jack, <laughs> Jack said to me, um, "He did it because he was sick of being him being told he could do the impossible, and um, and he just believed he could do it, and he did it." So not Disney, that's why. If it was Disney, there'd be some gospel <laughs> message. <laughs> um, sorry. But it was just so uncanny that I walked up. And said, it's not my self-belief. So why did Jesus say it's so difficult for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God? Is he saying that being wealthy is a sin? No, I don't think he is. I think he's saying because wealth can produce false sense of security and self-sufficiency. So wealthy people think they have no need for God. In Revelation, Jesus writes to the church of Laodicea, you say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And I think, you know, wealth or, or striving for wealth can really... And I've seen this in my, in my own work. Like as a prosecutor for 17 years, i prosecuted everyone, everything from people charged with murder, and convicted of murder, to rape all sorts of, you know, hot, the worst crimes. But then for the, in the last eight years, I've done more of the consumer law, deception, fraud type offences. And to my utter amazement, I never had a security incident dealing with serious criminals. No-one ever tried to harm me or threaten me or hurt me. Um, almost as if, like, you know, they know what they've done. They know you're just doing your job. Um, you know, so there's no, there's no point coming after me. Um, but unlike anything to do with money, people um, only last Friday had an incident. I can't talk about it, but I had to involve the police. Someone threatened to kill uh, someone in one of my cases and used me as the go-between. Um... And it's all, and it's all about money, and it's, it's extraordinary. Um, and I think, you know, where we're at right now in the world, it's we're, we're living in such a, such a, I'm forgetting, you know, such unusual times, you know, where the whole world has been shaken, everything, right down to our schools and our workplaces, our holidays, our events, everything everything has been shaken. And yet, now more than ever, we see how important it is to cling to the kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom that it talks about in Hebrews. But when wealth clouds a person's vision of God and need for God, salvation is going to be difficult, but not impossible. Jesus knew... That without the rich young bull being convicted of what he was clinging to and trusting in, he had no way of valuing the kingdom of God. So, then why were the disciples so shocked when Jesus made this statement about the camel and the iron and the needle? When they were everything to follow Jesus. do you think they'd be like cheering him on? Yeah. He You know, like, it didn't make sense to me when, when they were sort of so amazed. But again, we need to understand this verse in its historical context. Jesus needed to break down some false perceptions that were strongly held and were actually being taught by the rabbi at that time. And that is that the, the accumulation of wealth was a virtue, and only a sinner would give away more than a fifth of what he owns. Because the rabbis actually taught that the larger contribution that you made to the synagogue, then you get the best seat, and then that buys you a better place in heaven. So the disciples were like, "Hang on, if you're telling me that the, the, the rich people who, who get the best seats in the synagogue aren't gonna, don't get a place in heaven, like how are the poor going to get in? What are you saying?" So Jesus has to shatter all of this. Guys, you've got it all wrong. This is false teaching. This is false practice. It's impossible for anyone to come to God on their own terms, depending on their own efforts, relying on their own riches, their own contribution to find their way to heaven, no matter how mighty and powerful they are. We are totally powerless when it comes to earning salvation. Only God, only God can change man's heart. And what is impossible with man God. God can change a simple heart and he can bring conviction, as I believe he did that very day with the, with the rich young ruler. Those words. He went away sorrowful, he went away heavy and sad, but all of a sudden, his whole world has been shattered. And I think this was only the beginning for that man. And I love the contrast between the rich young ruler, this guy, and the Zacchaeus, Who's you remember he's the chief tax collector in Jerusalem, also very wealthy but very corrupt. And um, as the crowd is passing by one day with Jesus, um, Zacchaeus, he wants to look and he wants to see Jesus, but he's too short. Sure. Okay, so he runs ahead, climbs a tree, and um, much to his amazement, when as the crowd is passing by, Jesus is like, hey, I'm down, I'm dining with you tonight. And now the crowd are like, like, are you kidding? It's like the worst sinner around, you know. And I just love the Jesus response. He's like, "Lord, look, right now, I am giving half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anyone, I'm paying them back four times." Oh, the amazing said <laughs> 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 that to me. <laughs> 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 uh, but most importantly, Jesus didn't ask him to do that. That was his response, that was his, his heart response because his <laughs> salvation had come to him. He wanted Jesus, he believed in Jesus and that was his natural transforming response. And then we've got Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who was actually even wealthier than our eligible bachelor. And he comes to Jesus because he's got questions too. But Jesus doesn't tell him to sell everything to to poor because wealth wasn't his problem. His problem was pride. He comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't want to be seen with him. And Jesus has to deal with that. So he says, Unless a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, What are you talking about? And it's in that passage that that incredible verse that we all know from Sunday school. that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who so ever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the passage when Jesus speaks that verse to that rich God. So those three encounters show us how personal Jesus is, how he knows exactly what's going on in our hearts, which is quite convicting to it shows we can't hide anything from him as, as much as we try to. We've got to let him deal with it, whatever it is. So we leave the rich young ruler walking away sad. But that was just one day in his life. And who knows if he saw his wealth in quite the same way after that day. I'm the going to shine my wealth a little bit. He just encountered the living God. That this young man was looking for a box to tick. This side of death, so that he knew he'd be okay for all eternity. But he missed the life that Jesus was offering him now. He missed that the kingdom of God was standing in front of him. Jesus, the fullness of God in human flesh, that we struggle to even wrap our minds around, who brought the kingdom of God to earth. And he said, I came that they may have life and life in abundance. And what what does that life look like? I believe it's the joy of knowing him, of walking with him. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. the joy of his creation, knowing we are loved unconditionally. You know, just recently, you know, with COVID and everything, do you remember when finally some of those really heavy, intense, like the really, really, the really restrictive restrictions were um, lifted and we could actually, like, have a meal with our extended family rather than just being in your own little pocket? Um, and I remember the first time I sat down to have a meal with my extended family and it was just soup and bread, but, you know, there were candles and... I. And I I couldn't, it was just this moment where I almost had to leave the table. I was just overcome with emotion. And I was just thinking about the joy that God has given us, you know, the joy of fellowship, of family, of sharing a meal together and laughing together. And, and you know, when, when something's taken away, you, you just see it in a whole new light, a whole new value. And I've just been thinking a lot. I don't know if it's about, like, something to do with 10 and 40, but... Um, like the simplest things are the things that the, the things that God has given us to enjoy have, have just become so um, precious to me. I, I can't, it's hard to explain, but like it just yesterday, like the warmth of the sun after winter, you know, that God gives, and um, you know, like hearing my daughter laughing, giggling her head off, like you know, just, just the simplest things. But they're all from God and they're all for, for sometimes I'm overwhelmed with the love of God that he would give us. You know, you know, he like for example, he he could easily have made the waves um too powerful for us to swim. But he doesn't. He makes them so perfect that people who can serve, which I wish I could, can serve them. You know, or or like the ocean to be enjoyed. But he, he didn't have to do that, but he did it because he loves us and it's all It's all for our blessing. I'm I'm yet to find any material thing that brings me more joy than the incredible riches that he's given us. And this is just on on earth, let alone being in heaven with him. Let alone the riches of wisdom that are available to us, which I often depend upon in my job. And I was just thinking how, like, with COVID we all had to work from home and that I really struggled with that because I love my work. Like, I love work. Like, I love laughing with them. And um, when I was managing, when COVID hit, I was actually managing um, a lot of people and I had to do all these rosters of, you know, because you weren't know, got like to have certain people in the office and, you know, it was quite a juggle. And people would come to me and say, hey, um, I can't work from home. I, 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 I can't go for And then I realised because work was all they had. They were the only people that they, that was their only connection there because we were created for human relationship. And to have that taken away, it was it was too much. I thought, wow, my God, you know, created us for, for relationship and for the joy of knowing him. So I don't want to raise my kids in the hope that one day they will make a choice for Jesus and be saved. No, I, I want them to know and experience personally the joy of walking with Jesus every day because it affects everything, everything in our future, everything in our life. It affects everything. And, and when just before Jesus went to the cross, he was praying to his heavenly father and he said, and this is eternal life that they may know you and the one whom you sent. And know, we think about this rich young ruler, what must I do in inherit eternal life? I didn't think anybody was asking. Because yes, you know, yes, we will be with God for all eternity, and that's a whole other sermon, but, but eternal life is knowing you. Everything we pursue in this life that is not of the kingdom of God Ultimately, just won't won't actually make us happy. Not because God's out to punish us, but because we were always created for the kingdom of God. He created us to be filled by his love and to know his purpose for our lives and to live in relationship with him. That's why Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say sing to me or pray to me. He said, follow me. And out of that, of course, we worship and we pray. But, you know, what good is a roadmap without a journey? When I was about 13, I was obsessed with Hinchinbrook Island. Uh, I saw it in one of Dad's, like, next magazines. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was my destiny because when I was studying the maps, everything was like Zoe Beach and Zoe Falls. And <laughs> so it's like oh, fun. like fun with Queensland. Anyway, I, just, I don't know. I just got caught up. And it was a bit dreaming. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I never got there. And now after just correcting granddad came up and just tell me the amazing story about my teacher problem. That's great. But anyway, my point is I never got to experience any of it. But then that is not what Jesus wants for our relationship with him. And thankfully I can say that has not been my experience with Jesus. Um, no. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So I'm coming to an end. I believe that the decisions that affect our lives come quietly, not at a radical crossroads, but rather because God plants a seed, a challenge, something we feel convicted of, and then the Holy Spirit will begin to work within us, forming Christ within us, as Ephesians 3.16 says. In Job 2.12, the Lord said, It isn't too late. You can still return to me with all your heart. God didn't start a countdown when he gave you the choice between life and death. There is no time on his love for you. He is so patient, yet at the same time he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want us to miss out on precious time with him. And there's no place we have to go to find him. We can just cry out to him. Wherever we go, his grace follows us, and whatever we have done, his blood has covered it. So can we just bow our heads? Father, thank you for your word. Oh Lord, the the depths of Your wisdom, God, to speak to our hearts, and You know our hearts. You know when we're holding things back from You or clinging too tightly to the things of this life. Lord, we know we are saved by grace, for it is not by works that any man could boast. So, Holy Spirit, just help us to let go of anything that's robbing us of living the fullness of the life that you want for us on the cross. And if we can't see that right now, Lord, we just ask you to gently reveal to us. Don't leave us where we are, God. Grow us. We want to follow you, Lord. We want to seek you and your kingdom first. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and on earth as it is now. Amen. Amen.